Well, we are in the fourth part of this series called Mosaic, where we've just been looking at the concepts that God is so incredibly awesome that he can take our pile of mess, all of our broken pieces, and turn it into something that's beautiful. There's parts of it, and that's a work of art is supposed to be examined and looked at and appreciated. And most of our broken pieces, we don't want them looked at, examined, put on showcase, hung on the wall, have a little art exhibit where everybody comes in and stares at it and discusses what it could possibly mean. But when an artist creates a mosaic, that's what happens. And we're here to say that, you know what, God can take the pieces of our lives that we're the most embarrassed of, the stuff we want to shove away and say, God, let's just move beyond it. And he said, no, I want to use it. Put in my hands and let me do it. And it may not be tomorrow. It's a work in process. But letting him put the pieces together, that's what this series is about. See, God, the one who created time, is a master artist, and he can turn our broken years into beauty. Some of the hardest things for us to really get over, we can say, okay, man, I made a mistake, but if I jump on it real quick, we can undo this thing. But for to have some time go by, we have uh, the expression, man, there's just been too much water under the bridge. Man, just too much has transpired. We've just gone down this this line too far and man it's just let's just cut our losses and move on and so many times we can think that one of the hardest things to deal with is look back on our lives and see years and years and years feel like what a waste it's going to be one of the most disheartening things we know that all of us only have so many days we understand we can get some more money we mess up that I mean, people fall into it all the time with the lottos or inheritance from some uncle you never heard of or, or, or all of a sudden you have a brilliant idea. Money can come and go. Even a lot of times we can even go, you know what? Relationships in our society are fluid. We have a, a heartbreak. It's devastating. And we go, you know what? But man, there's plenty of other fish in the sea and I'll be all right. But when years are gone... They're gone. They're gone. And we don't go, you know what, I can go and I can decide to cash in a little bit of something else and get me some more years. And having those slip by can be so incredibly devastating. And you go, God, there's just so much in my life I would love a redo. I tell you what, just about everybody over 30 a lot of us over about 22 would love to be able to get in a little time machine and go back and redo some stuff. Say, man, if I just knew then what I know now, then I would fix it all. And man, I tell you what, God is absolutely amazing at dealing with even when it seems like our opportunity has slipped by to create this beautiful moment where things can come together. And I think that moms are some of the ones that instinctively understand this. 
understand that, you know what, there can be some difficult time periods, but when it's all said and done, it's going to be okay. The years can slip by, things can take time, but it's all going to be okay. I mean, even just the concept of a mom being ready to carry a child for nine months. You know, and as you know, we've already talked about the fact that that women are already harder on their bodies than men are. You know, men on Father's Day, you know, he looks in the mirror and the one last place on his body, he still has a little definition. That's what his eyes go to. And all guts all hanging out and everything. He's like, yeah, babe, check out this. You know, a woman looks in the mirror, and the last place on her body, she has a small vestige of some fatty tissue she doesn't want. I've never heard a man say, oh, my gosh, my ankles are so fat. That's the whine of a skinny woman. And the, But the thing is, is I guarantee you, she looks in the mirror, and that's where her eyes go. She can't help it. She doesn't see all of the good stuff. So her eyes go there. And then this ladies that deal with this, and then their bodies have to go through what they go through. How would a lady that's built to find all the negative say, sign me up to be a mom? Because they understand that, yeah, all that process may be a little bit difficult, but the end result, oh, it's so worth it, the late nights and the early mornings and being thrown up on multiple times. Somebody completely dependent upon you and ungrateful. Can't do a thing for themselves. Time slipping by. And there's this thing that just just pounds in a mom's heart that goes, you know what, when it's all said and done, it's going to be worth it. The years can matter. The years can matter. See, Genesis 1 it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You know what's awesome about this? Is the sun does not exist. It shows up later in creation. So it's not that there was evening in the morning because everything rotated around and, and spun around the, the, on its axis and created the day. God created time before we, there was anything to even measure it the way we know it's measured. The one who created time outside of our little standards, I think he can do something with our years. What we think is wasted and shot and gone We can put it in his hands and he can create a fresh opportunity. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. It's now. See, now is the best time to choose to follow God, even if we've messed up some other nows in the past. All right, and I want to tell a parallel story this morning that involves these two people living in their nows, okay? We're going to tell the story of Moses, and we're going to start out with his mom. His mom lives as a slave in a foreign land. We already talked about Joseph and his brothers and how they end up in this foreign land. They're they're favored for a long time. 
But then everything turns, and then we look up 400 and some odd years later, things are ugly. And she's a slave. And things begin, the Pharaoh, the guy in charge of the whole country, begins to get a little freaked out because there's too many of these Israelites. And he decides that we're going to not tolerate any more Israelite boys being around. So he makes this new law and says, if there's an Israelite boy born, then we're going to kill him. Can't even wrap my mind around this concept and... Moses' mama, her name is Jochebed, gets pregnant. They don't have all the little fancy stuff that we have, you know, at 19, 20 weeks, be able to peek in, see what's growing in there, know what it is. I guarantee you Jochebed is sitting there knowing that if it's a boy, he will be born to be taken from her. You know that she is sitting there and praying over herself, God, let let it be a girl. Great God, Jehovah, let it be a girl. And she grows, and she's, instead of all of the anticipation of saying, I can't wait until the birth, looking, she is not looking forward to the birth. She's not looking forward to it. And all of a sudden, though, instead of those nine months creeping by because they're saturated in anticipation and you just can't wait, they fly by. Because she doesn't want them to go by. And the sunrise and sunsets come too quickly, and the day comes, and Moses is born. And he comes out, and it's not a little girl. Not a little girl, it's a little boy. And she is just overwhelmed with the fact that at any minute, word's going to go out. Little boy was born to Jochebed, and they're going to come and rip him out of her hands. And she makes one of the coolest plans any mom could ever make. She begins and she weaves a basket. She keeps him hidden for a while, the word says. Keeps him hidden, but it got to a final place. She couldn't keep him hidden anymore. And she weaves this basket. She gets on, she takes all these reeds and puts it together. She gets the tar and the pitch and she gets her hands dirty and she creates this little basket and she creates this and weatherproofs it and gets it ready to do what seems to be the unthinkable. She's got to take care of him. Puts him inside this little basket, puts the little covering on and you watch the the cartoons or the show, you know, the Prince of Egypt and she like sails him down the little river and he's all getting bumped by hippopotamuses and barges and it's all sorts of crazy stuff and she just kind of watches him float in the sun. that's not what the word says that is not what she does she goes and you look at it she sticks him among the reeds these big old strong reeds and she sticks him on the edge and it, he, her boy is not floating away and she does it strategically she's just brilliant she does it right at the edge of where the pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe and she sticks her older daughter who's already been born about eight or nine years old and she sticks her over and says i want you to watch that basket it's not getting away he's not floating she did not make a sacrifice of her boy she put out some preservation and then miriam is just sitting there waiting she's just watching and watching and sure enough pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe just like normal she has all her little handmaidens and she spies a basket Thank goodness that women are crazy curious. I guarantee you, you stick a little basket and on the side of the road or something's going to 
Some, some woman's going to go look and see what's in there. So nothing against women. That's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and so, and, uh, so I am in trouble, aren't I? Yeah. I didn't say that. This is not the sermon you're listening to. And so, anyways, and so sure enough, they go get the basket, look in there, and there is this adorable, cute little Hebrew boy. Obviously not Egyptian. Well, look, somebody's violated the rules and hidden this little boy, but Pharaoh's daughter looks and sees him, and she's like, I want to keep him. And she takes him in and begins to want to raise him. Miriam pipes up, jumps out of the bushes and goes over and says, you know what, I know of a Hebrew lady who can nurse him and and take care of him. And she runs and gets her mama. And Moses gets to be raised in the house of the king, the Pharaoh, being cared for and nurtured by his own mother. She's just brilliant. Absolute awesome plan. Totally works. Everything comes together. She raises him. We don't get a whole lot of, get, hear a whole lot out of Moses until the scriptures we're about to read. Okay? We don't hear a whole lot. Okay? But he lived and he's raised in Pharaoh's house for about 40 years. And as she is taking care of him, she didn't have to hide and try to treat him like, oh, he's in a little Egyptian baby. No, he knew, everybody knew he was a Hebrew. And she, you know that in those quiet moments, she talks about their culture. And she talks about their people. And she talks about their God. And she disciples him as he's coming up. And he's learning to talk. And she reminds him and tells him the stories. And cultivates within that little boy a compassion for their people. And here it comes out 40 years later. I'm assuming at this point in time, we don't know. We don't hear anything out of Jochebed. She very well could be alive at this point in time. Exodus 2, 11 says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Yes, Moses was a cold-blooded murderer. Kills the Egyptian, tries to hide him, tries to cover him up because he could not stand that this guy was beating his, one of his fellow Hebrews. He's just his heart as a deliverer, as somebody who's going to help his people. He just could not tolerate it, and he kills him, and he lashes out. Then the next day, he went out, and he saw two Hebrew fighting. And it just drove him crazy. He's like, my brothers, my Hebrew brothers are fighting. And he asked the, uh, the one in the wrong. He said, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And he said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill <coughs> Moses But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. The only influence in Moses' life, he was taught, lived, trained, enjoyed life 
in Pharaoh's palace, the only influence cultivating a heart of compassion for his people was his mama. Pouring into him, speaking into him, reminding him of who he really was. Forty years go by. At this point now, Moses is 80. More than likely, Jochebed has passed. She either passed before the murder incident or she passes before now. If she was alive at the murder incident, her, what, her dying knowledge of her son was as a fugitive on the run. Not what she thought that her boy had been spared for. This mama's thoughts and everything that went through her mind and everything, she's like, God, I trained him right. You gave me favor to be able to raise my boy up. I did everything I knew to do. Why is his life this way? He is a fugitive on the run from the law. He's done something terrible. I can't believe my boy is living this life. And more than likely, she never saw the growth of the seed that she had planted in her son. We pick up when Moses is 80. 40 years have gone by. Moses thinking, man, there's something. God has set me apart to help my people. He acts out in a wrong way and ends up exiled for 40 years. All of a sudden, that whole time thinking, okay, now I'm, I'm convinced there was never a plan of God on my life at all. It says, and when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, there was a burning bush, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I've concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The assignment that was on his life the whole time, the thing he tried to go rogue with, and go all vendetta, vigilante, killing people. That thing that was alive in him that caused him to go. And he kind of took it the wrong direction. That thing that was, was I guarantee, was, was spoken and prayed over his mama. I mean, by his mom. It becomes up out of him. And now he's there and he's called to go and deliver the Israelites. He now steps into his calling. So many times it seems like years can go by and you're like, God, have you forgotten me? I thought you had a plan here. God, I thought you had a plan. A lot of times going by, a lot of sweet opportunities. What's going on here? And the thing is, is if we will continue 
to simply do as Moses did. When God taps your shoulder and says, you know what, I'm ready for this. It's time to step into this. Then Moses simply said, here I am. Here I am. That's all the artist is asking of us for our mosaic. It's to say, here I am. I need your pieces. Here I am. I can see the finished result. I know you can't, but I need your pieces. Put your whole life in my hands. Here I am. So many times when we look at it, things we think things will go at a certain speed. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, a, it's a painful thing when we feel like, God, why are you doing this now? I wanted this answer a while ago. God, this seems a little late. It's not too late. My wife got to work uh, um, a uh, women's walk recently. A couple of our ladies were on it, and she got one of the ladies on the clergy team. Sweet lady um, named uh, Suzanne Brantley. Some of you may know her. And um, anyways, she has uh, had uh, 20-something years in ministry. 20-something years in ministry, and she didn't start till she was in her 50s. In her 50s. 76, 77 years old. Making a difference, making an impact. And said yes to God to get trained up and then... She had had to go to seminary, get all of her training, do all that kind of stuff, and said yes in her 50s. She didn't say, God, why didn't you tap my shoulder for this a long time ago? She said, here I am. Here I am. Folks, for this, what God, the beautiful things God has planned for your life, it is not too late. It is not too late. Just say, here I am. See, Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most... Of every chance you get. These are desperate times. See the message of hope in Christ. Is that you didn't have to get it right. The first time. How many times we think. Man I had my little moment with God. And then I blew it. And then my second chance is gone. My third chance is gone. You know what God's not keeping record. He said, you're my kid now. You said yes to me. We're still on that. I'm not keeping record of how many attempts it takes. You're my kid. You said yes to me. You've placed your faith in me. We're still on that. That's what we're running on. We're running on love and relationship. We're not running on duty and obligation here. We're not saying running on, oh, okay, I'll get it right this time. I love it that Jesus uses this to explain God's redemption plan of grace. Matthew 21 says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, "Go, son, go work in the vineyard. And his son, can you believe this? He says, I will not. That did not happen in my house. <laughs> he said, I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he just went. Didn't even say that he changed his mind, went back to his dad and said, Daddy, I am so sorry that I said no. Can I go now? No, he just went. He's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just going to go do it. And he just jumped into it and did it. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. The first one just bows up and says, I will not. And the first, I will, sir. Gives him the nice little sweet answer. 
but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. It says the ones that pushed against what I had for them and pushed against it hard. They're the ones who are extorting money out of people and, and are despised. The l- ladies who are selling themselves and just pushing against everything that our culture says is right. As soon as their hearts turn, they're entering in ahead of those who are self-righteous and say, you know what, I've pushed all the right buttons and I deserve it. He said that the fact that they didn't get it right the first time is Jesus' explanation of grace to the self-righteous Pharisees. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works to the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. He does. He does. Close with a story of a successful man named Robert. Robert hit his heyday back in the 70s. Man, he was had it all. He had wanted and looked for multiple success opportunities, worked real hard to be able to, <clears throat> to, pers- to pursue everything that he wanted in life. And he began to get it, began to make money hand over fist, and things just began to come in. And Robert spent it on himself. He had different women all the time, all of, the, all of the, the booze and the drugs and all those different things. Had a big fancy boat, had two jets, not one jet, two jets. And the story goes that Robert was so full of himself that he went through the expense of firing up, fueling up both of those jets, taking them off so that he could sit in one and sip his whiskey and look out the window and see his name on the other one. It's a guy pretty into himself. Goes through life and ends up finally going through all of these ups and downs. Has all of these different things happen. And finally in his 60s, he comes to a place where he recognizes that he has trashed his life. Trashed it. Ends up getting connected with a church. Saying yes to Jesus. Decides he wants to get baptized. Church has baptism there in the church. It is a very big church, very large, large congregation. And he gave his testimony and just began to share about his life and what it has meant to him and find the grace of God. And he's sharing his testimony. There is this is late in life. Obviously, there was anointing on him to connect with people and draw people to something. And this pastor of this church is normally very programmed and very, okay, this is what this takes and going on to the next step, stops the service and says, God is obviously doing something here. And says, if anybody else wants to say yes to Jesus and go and step into the waters of baptism, normally we schedule this and all this, but it is just open this morning. And one stood up and then another stood up. And that normally strict time clock of a service went on for a couple of hours and 700 people said yes to Jesus that morning and followed into the waters of baptism. They said in his last days, Robert would just cry that he did not have time enough to make a difference. He was soon after diagnosed with cancer and it was just all over his body from the way he treated himself. 
And he got to live a couple of years as a believer and spent every minute he could trying to make a difference for the kingdom. And what seemed like things had just gone too far out of the way. That God was still able to use Robert, Evil, Knievel in his later days. guy that lived his life completely for himself and think, why would God even want to use this? And he did. And he does. The fact that you're here and you have a heartbeat and the Holy Spirit is alive in you means it's not too late. We've already talked about a broken spirit and broken dreams. And the thing is, we've got to understand that it's not too many years have gone by. And there's, God has a plan and he can do so much if we will just say, here I am. It makes all the difference. He works for the good of those who love him and are called to his purpose. And he can work with anything we bring him. See, we need to embrace the grace and let God Turn your broken into beauty. Even the time, it seems like it's just too far gone. I'd appreciate it if everybody would just kind of bow your heads and make a quiet moment here. Right now, I want to pray.